0: This episode of A Conversation for One podcast is brought to you by Outro Apparel. Do you like well-made, highly stylish clothing? If the answer is yes, then hold on, because there's more. When you buy Outro Apparel, you also support Mental Health Research Canada. So look good and make a difference. Outro Apparel. Open up to raise awareness. Hey there, and welcome back to A Conversation for One podcast. The podcast where I ramble on and discuss a wide variety of topics such as horror, sci-fi, multimedia, film universes and franchises, theme parks, new and past, and uh, Canadiana, music, TV, gosh, so much, you name it, I do it, but those are usually the main things we're talking about. Today, if you haven't guessed it already, we're talking about the amazing, the wonderful King Kong. but. You know, because it's this podcast, not the classic 1933 and not the widely publicized remake in 2005. No, we're talking about the 1976 Dino De Laurentiis produced remake, King Kong. And it's much ignored and uh sadly forgotten and never really brought up uh sequel, King Kong Lives. Um So, but before we go into that, let me just give... A little bit of well my reasoning for this is the new godzilla film obviously and how it ties into the monsterverse and i will touch on that a little bit later but the new kong skull island that came out a year or two ago just feels like an absolute love letter more than anything to these two films uh in comparison to the other films in like the kong sort of small franchise if you will which is its own thing by the way if you didn't know that there's actually quite a few films in the kong free uh franchise series there is but let me just give a little brief history um well my history really with kong um i have brought it up before Uh, A little bit in passing how 1933 Kong, the black and white King Kong, was one of the first um, films I saw that absolutely stuck with me. Uh, Not only was it one of the first eh, kind of sort of horror film that I saw, it was one of like the first full black and white movies I watched almost from start to finish. I maybe missed 20, 30 minutes from this like two and a half hour movie. Um, And it was on the old Canadian channel Scream. Um, and so obviously I couldn't sleep that night as a kid. So I snuck down as you do as a child. And I, you know, went to the basement where the TV was and I kept the TV on super hush, super quiet. And I popped on King Kong. I'd heard of King Kong. I knew King Kong was because I actually had watched, um, this King Kong musical. My mom had this King Kong musical for me. Um, I don't think it was official, but it was called the mighty Kong and um it was just it was just something else it was like looking back on it now it wasn't a good film but that was probably the first exposure i had to king kong which weirdly enough also came out in 1998 so both my my very first version of king kong was this awful animated version of king kong um Without, my, without even really noticing that, but it was. I knew who King Kong was, but I got the whole story basically in a kid version uh, in 1998, the same year I saw Godzilla for the first time, which is still my Godzilla. It's a lot like James Bond or Doctor Who. The first Godzilla you see is your Godzilla, for better or for worse, and mine is the 1998 version, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, but in a sense, King Kong Lives kind of serves as that Godzilla, 1998 film in the series, but I will get to that. We will get to all of that. So let me just say, I watched King Kong, 1933, and it blew me away. To, to To be fair, like still to this day, if you watch that 33 film, it's it's kind of like a disservice to say it holds up. It's it's what would be the better way to describe it is that it it didn't age. Like it is ageless, is timeless. It is it is truly a, a classic. It it's like just a mixture of art and talent and working with what you have to make everything seem so flawless and seamless. Some of the stuff seems like magic, like how, how did they do that? Or how is that, that convincing in 1933? And you know what? It's hard to explain because it was absolutely love of the craft and just, just work, sweat and tears that went into that film. And it's what make people still fall in love with Kong. And it's what made me as a kid fall in love with Kong. I wasn't born in nineteen thirty-three. I was born sixty years later, and I still—it was—it grabbed me and it didn't let me go. Now, flash forward about—well, let's say what was I like? Nine? It was probably nine when I when I saw that film. Nine or ten. Fa- flash forward maybe f- four years, and I was talking about it with one of my uncles, and he told me uh, he asked me, "Which one did you watch?" Uh, well, I was nine, ten well, I think we were talking about how they were going to remake a new one. So maybe this was right the year before. So maybe it's a little bit further than three or four years. But I think that we were talking about remaking the new one. And he was like, well, have you seen? I was like, I've seen the last one. And he's like, do you like the one where it's a claymation or the one in the suit? And I thought, "Ah aha, like he's pulling my leg, right? Like the one in the suit. Sure, there's only that one. And he's like, no, the one in the suit from the 70s. And I just thought, okay, so like, Uncle here knows his stuff, but maybe he doesn't know everything. Thinking maybe he was talking about Godzilla versus Kong, which I had just found out about like maybe a year before, and then that blew my mind because I wasn't the biggest Godzilla fan. I'm sure I've mentioned this before. Scott Fawcett, who we had on the episode a couple times, he was really the Godzilla guy. I was King Kong. I was Ride or Die, ride or die King Kong. I still am, to, for the most part. I prefer a King Kong movie much more than I prefer a Godzilla film probably again why I'm so tied to 1988 it feels much more like a King Kong film but anyways I thought he was just joshing me I thought he was and my internet in my house wasn't that great so I didn't look it up um, and I I didn't think anything of it and then I can't remember if it was on a YouTube video or if I saw it on TV but it was like yeah King Kong 1976 huge blockbuster for Paramount Paramount again a little Paramount love And I was like, whoa. And at the time, one of the second horror films that I saw around the same time I saw King Kong again on screen was American Werewolf in London, which if you haven't seen it, by God, stop what you're doing and go watch that. Heck, go watch King Kong as well. Um, Actually, I just saw a myriad, a myriad of classics like in that year or two of watching stuff on screen films that i still consider now like some of my horror staple favorites i just maybe just favorites in general and uh so i was very well aware of rick baker who did the makeup like the oscar award-winning makeup um for american world in london who ended up was also a part of 1976 king kong which to me like blew my mind i was like whoa right like i couldn't believe this and so and then you find out later too not only did he do the makeup for King Kong? Because yes, for the most part, like 80% of the film, it is a very convincing man in a suit. And while I often go to bat for Godzilla saying like, yeah, it's not that hokey, it's not that corny, to be honest, for the most part, in a lot of the earlier films, you can totally tell it's a man in a suit. This film, the 1976 film, it it took the whole like suitmation, quote unquote, like suitmation, and just like turned it to 11. Like you cannot tell, like you know, you know, but like, only because you're thinking about it it is very convincing it is very well done he plays that ape so convincingly and the makeup is top notch the effects in the face and stuff of like all the eyebrows and mouth moving so good you do not see physical effects like that too too much these days and it is it's it's very admirable it's 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 so well executed especially for one of his earliest efforts so so good so, yeah, it was a man in a suit and I found out about it. And I was like, what? Then to add a little sprinkle of you haven't seen this. How have you not seen this? Jeff Bridges is in it. So I finally watched the film and I'm like, I don't know if it's that good. And like everything you remembered about the 1933 film is like upped. Some of the story I don't really care for. It's focused more on like an oil company or a gasoline company. And they're out doing their stuff instead of like a... I found a crazy map and I'm a, like a film tycoon. That I, I honestly like way more about the 33 film and later the remake. But this one is kind of cool too. But basically it's like the island stuff, Amp to 11. Like the relationship the female has with um, with the ape, with Kong... It's not just screaming anymore. She's talking to him. They build sort of a relationship. There's like a lot of more bonding moments, which like is really what you you see. Like in the 33 film, Kong is like fighting stuff. He's like killing T-Rex. He's like pulling their mouth open. He's like, he's fighting off spiders and all this stuff. He's doing so much. He's pterodactyls, whatever, right? Everything for Faye Ray to defend her. And all she can do, the whole film is ah, just screaming the entire time instead of being like, this guy clearly cares about me because he's fighting all of these things off in the this remake, the 1976 remake, which, again, this is like this is the precursor, though, to me personally, because in the 2005 film, you see more so like Naomi Watts, like connecting and trying to make Kong laugh and all this stuff, which is super drawn out. Don't get me wrong. I like King Kong 2005, but sometimes it's like, oh, it like I have to sit Three, two or three different times to actually just you know fully complete watching this thing, and uh, but the seventy six film, I'm not gonna say it is like a perfect film, but it once it gets going, it really gets going, and they're so ambitious with so many things, um, but yeah, I guess we started talking off about my history, and now we're just fully diving into this film, um, but basically, yeah, I love Kong, um, I I started with the thirty three film, well as we found out, like really deep diving into my subconscious, I started with The Mighty Kong from 1998. Don't watch it. Actually, you know what? Watch it. Just so you know what I'm talking about. Um, If you can find it, I'm sure it only just came out on VHS, but... And then I found out about um, King Kong versus Godzilla, which... I owned a copy for a while. I heard rumors of it. And then like like I said, my internet wasn't great. Wikipedia was still a brand new thing. And so I was I was reading about it and I was figuring out what it was, but I didn't actually see it until my first year of university. And you know what, not that great, but definitely you guys should watch it at least once. I feel like if I watched the Japanese version, it would be a lot better. I feel I apparently the American version, they cut it a lot and they restructured a lot, which was super common for fifties and sixties films. And then, uh, yeah, and then I watched this Paramount film, and I was like, hot dog, right? This was some good stuff, and I was all about it, and the more I found out about it, the more I appreciate it, the more I looked for when I watched it in, in secondary viewings, and then I found out about King Kong Libs, and I was like, what? And I watched King Kong Libs, and to be fair, to be honest, other than the original, also too, there's The Son of Kong which came out, like, the exact same year. Like, the first King Kong came out, and it's not even the same. It's uh, it's on his son, which is this little albino ape who is, like, a, f- a quarter of the height that he was, which is... It's apparently still a really good film. I have still yet to seen it. To seen it? To see it. I bought it. I have it on Blu-ray. I just... I haven't sat down to watch it, and I feel like for a film like that, like, I have a bunch of those films, like Them just like a bunch of movie shame films that like I know I need to watch. I have my hands on them, but I've just never sat down to fully watch these things because I want to be fully invested. And that's just definitely one of them that I want to be fully invested for. But King Kong lives other than like the first one, yeah, probably other than the very first one is up there for like one of my f- favorite King Kong films. It's the second if not the third of the seven or eight films. <laughs> Uh, that are out there Uh, it's really good it's very underrated but yeah let's uh let's keep going with uh, talking about king kong 1976 all right so king kong 1976 i think it's kind of important like right from the beginning let's throw out most things we know about the original that's like the 1933 film or peter jackson's 2005 remake we know the basic setup right a bunch of whiteies, <laughs> They go somewhere, uh, somewhere they shouldn't be, really. AKA Skull Island, for the most part. They try to take control, whether it's up like the people or the situation. I mean, it's not like super like they take control of the island, but they're like, basically, we're coming in, we're taking what we want, and then we're dipping. That's you know, classic white colonialism. And then before they know it, they're swept up in a jungle, uh, into the adventure. They're just they're swept up in stuff, uh, and then obviously to rescue a girl. Um, which, like, in the 1933 film is important. Like, there's, like, ties to the girl. Um, She's, like, important. They need her for the film. Um, And then in 2005, which is basically a shot-for-shot remake of said film with, like, some minor changes, it's the same sort of story. They need her for what they're doing. They're filming a movie. And then this film, the 1976 film, they don't need her, uh, which I find really interesting. But anyways, that's, like, the, the usual story. They go to rescue the girl. Then they kidnap the eighth wonder of the world, King Kong himself. And then, and as any rational person would do, they strap him onto a boat um, and they send him to New York, you know, while risking the lives of their entire crew. And, uh, and then obviously themselves, which I, it never made sense to me, especially too, because like, I could be wrong, but in 33, they come in this little dinky nothing of a boat. And then in like 33, it's a bigger boat, but it's just like, is it like big enough to hold Kong? Like he is like solid muscle. Like the amount of weight he must be, I, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, I, it's fantasy. I jump in with it. But in 76, the boat they're on that they, they take, it's like, oh yeah, this like whole Kong size boat. Yeah. We totally knew We were coming to see Kong. They like write it off as like, yeah, it's like an oil container boat. It's, like, that's huge. It's huge. I don't know how much oil they were moving in the 70s, but it must have been a lot. I don't know. It just seemed massive. The whole boat just seemed like a compartment for oil, and it was, like, stories high. Because King Kong looks like... Basically, like, if you put, like, a couple ants in, like, a giant, like, shoebox, and they're, like, in the corner, that's what King Kong looks like in that. It's ridiculous. But, um, anyways, you risk... (laughs) I keep getting... You know, as I do. i vary off track. Um, so then, like, the normal movie... You would take King Kong, you take him to New York, which ends with like tons of bloodshed, tons of tears, um, and in this case, for 1976, so 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 much blood, so much bloodshed. But we'll get there. So 76, though, however, has kind of like a different different flavor. If you haven't been able to tell from my weird like offshoots and my comments, than your common Kong films, and because of that, it's like something I truly admire. Um, like. And whether or not, like, it all works. Because some stuff doesn't work. Like, I'm not going to say it's perfect. With As with most things. Like, even when people are like, I don't really like it. And I'm like, no, it's good. I'm not going to say it's perfect. Sometimes. But, like, that's not usually my MO. So, a little backup. Uh, backup. little uh, background information. This film, which makes sense now, but I never really thought of it then. So, in 1975, Steven Spielberg has, like, his breakout hit, Jaws. It's released. People go... Ape shit, pun intended. And uh, like they just can't get enough. Blockbusters are huge. Giant, huge, uh, giant like um, monster movies are big again, but like natural kind of. You know, no more radioactive monsters, no more creature from 20,000 fathoms, no more Godzilla. Godzilla's still big, but not, not, that's not what's capturing the American audience at this time. Jaws takes off and you have a bunch of copycats. So Dino De Laurentiis, he's like, I want in on this. And so he goes in and it's with Paramount, which Michael Eisner, who's a a favorite of mine, uh, he's he's running Paramount at the time. And uh, Jaws changed the world as we know it in terms of film. So they're thinking, how do we compete with a shark? And they go, oh, my God, obviously. Why with the eighth wonder of the world, of course. And so they try and scoop up King Kong and uh so then king kong's 1976 is eventually made there's a little bit of like problems there i there's a long lawsuit story between universal saying we have the rights like like take a seat paramount you're not going to get this and then paramount's like um it's fair game we have it and we also have like the ball rolling we're already in production and universal's pissed now because they're like uh this was going to be our big movie next year and then paramount's basically like take a hike bud and universal's like yeah and then they uh you know they bring them to court and basically court is like it seems like you both have pretty fair claim and then you have marion c cooper who is like i wrote this movie and his his relative i think it's his son his son's like it might it might just be him but the cooper estate's like actually pushes up glasses this is ours and it's just this big backlash so basically though it ends up, Universal has said rights to certain parts of Kong films. Cooper has said rights to other parts of Kong films. And then Paramount's allowed to make their movie. And it's just a big cluster fuck. It's just a big cluster fuck. It's, I don't know. And then, and we'll get to it. Trust me, we'll get to it. King Kong Lives eventually comes out. But it's not for a long time. Ten years later. So anyways, King Kong 1976 has the weirdest cold opening ever. You do not even realize that you're watching a King Kong film for the longest time it is slow it is boring like it's just like oh like this is a king kong film like you have no idea there's no build up like in 33 in 2005 it's like again i don't want this to be a comparison i don't want this to be a total comparison but it's like you have like the build up like i have this map we're going to skull island we're going to do the biggest best movie of all time nothing that anybody's ever seen we're going to like blow people's socks off and like, we run into this girl, I get this actor, Bada bada boo. you're assembling the team. This movie is just a boat on the water, slow, boring, nothing's happening. There's no reason for them to be there, not for a while. You find out a little later, but it's just like, okay, what are we looking at here? Thank God for that John Barry score. It's beautiful, it's slow, it's quintessentially 70s. It's like, <laughs> it's not like that at all. But it's like it's very soft, it's drawn out, and it's and it just it just feels like oh, it's just beautiful. Like you're about to watch this beautiful, fantastical, epic. I never really appreciated it as much until I gave it like a recent viewing, and uh, it's not my favorite score. It's really not, but it it was charming. Charming, I think, is the best word for that. So, anyways, Jeff Bridges comes on. He's uh, he's spouting accounts of Kong. He basically sneaks on. He's like, listen, pal, and he's just like, take a seat, and he just. He tells them all how it is. He's like I said, he's spouting accounts of Kong. And it's just like it's a it's that scene is just like the little like wow, it's just it's it's wonderful. It's this little like breath of life. Then they find like Jessica Lang's character, uh Dwan, which still I'm like, why? Like was it like edgy back then? Like cause even she says like <laughs> it's like Don, <Dawn>, but Dwan. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And like they're like like the captain and Jeff Bridges are like, <laughs> Yeah, so crazy you <laughs> what's wrong with her and uh it's just it's odd it's blah when she comes on it's like okay whatever don't get me wrong She is a smoke show she is something else but uh that's she's lacking something I don't know what it is she does like and this is jumping ahead of it she does have more of a connection with Kong but at the same time like there doesn't feel like there's any heart like there feels like there's no heart between them like Faye Ray the whole time is like, ah, ah, just screaming the whole time. But I feel like Kong and her are, you know, it's more of like a primal thing and you don't want to see them separate it. Kong with like Jessica Lang with Duan, she is just like annoyed by him the entire time. And she's like, no, don't do it. Like she's like literally focused about herself the entire time, the entire time. And it's not till the very end of the movie where she's like, oh, shoot, he might die. No, oh, shoot. That's basically like how it is. And like Kong looks at her like almost the whole movie with like, I don't know how to say this any nicer than like rapey eyes, which is like super weird on like a whole other level. But anyway, she comes on kind of boring, super dreamy. She's like a smoke show. Um, And it's like at this point you're realizing, much like I realize, holy hell, we're already 25 minutes into this thing. Nothing's happened and I'm bored out of my goddamn skull. Skull intended. Nothing, nothing's happened. Nothing of any importance. You barely even know why they're going there. But plot development aside um, from finding out why they're on the voyage. you do find that out, but it's very big. They're like yeah, they're, there's gonna be some oil there. I do like I do like how they like how they kind of define it. They're like, yeah, there's ton of tons of like phosphorus gases or like nitrogen in the air and the only reason that would be in the air is like if the the, like the phosphor uh, phosphorus, if like the flora and fauna were like this and if they're like that, then there's gotta be something right here. And through like our thermo scans, which is like, cool. Cause this is the seventies, like kind of cutting edge. Like we can kind of pinpoint that like right here in the middle of the island, for sure. There's definitely maybe more, but right here, that's gotta be oil. Like there's gotta be oil there. And so that's it. That's why they're going. They've been on this boat. They have a rented crew and they're like, we're gonna get some oil. And it's just like, you're watching this and you're thinking this would not fly today. Like, oh, hey there's a small island in canada us being american crew we're just going to go to that island and we're going to just start drilling there locals and natives be damned i don't even care like it what the un says we're just going to take control like they are like okay like i get like they want to be a little different who knows maybe they had to change it because of the lawsuit maybe they couldn't have the exact same story but good god they could have come up with something different like diamonds diamonds would have made more sense yeah, like there's supposed to be like a big diamond mine and blah, blah, blah. And then when they like, they find the natives, like even just having like a little bartering scene, they didn't even have like a bartering scene. There was kind of something the, the, the native leader approaches. And I love the costumes by the way that they had, they did the whole dance and they had like the straw hats and they, they, they do, they do try to make a deal. Um, But it's just, I don't know. I felt like it was like, blah, you don't care about any of the cast. You don't care about any of the characters. You don't care why they're going there. You're just like, good God, just show me some King Kong now. Like, I'd love to see some King Kong. So anyways, they once they get onto the island, they talk about laying charges so they can fully see where the geological structure of the island is. And that's kind of cool because we see that eventually later in Skull, uh, uh, Kong Skull Island. They're like, yeah, we have to basically blow up bombs everywhere so that, like, we can get a good reading. And I was like, damn, that's cool. I didn't even, I did not even remember that part. But it, it's, uh... It's cool, like, you I, you kind of write off this movie if you watch it at least once or twice with, like, your memory of just, like, thinking about Kong. But there's a lot of cool details in here. There really is. So then you see all the people. They, they stumble into the natives. They see the whole festival, kind of like what I was talking about before. And really cool detail, again, I didn't notice. All of, like, this the sacrifice girl and all of, like, the runner-up girls, they're all made to wear, like, this, like, golden straw veils, like, long golden straw veils, like, golden blonde hair, which is a neat way to show that Kong has appeal for blondes. And like, he... He's down for the blondes, like the, the most perfect hair, you know, and I'll fight anyone to the death who says otherwise. So me and Kong, we got something in common there. I just thought it was neat. Cool little detail because other than like, maybe like racial, um, I don't know, like propaganda. I don't know what it is. It's just like, why else would like Kong want this like fair skinned blonde beauty instead of like all the other native girls? Like, why would the natives be like, Oh, we got to give it to her. She's like more beautiful. But like in that sense, like they've already been kind of like worshipping like blonde hair. And the I guess like the white skin is like something different. Maybe they're thinking, hey, we don't have to get rid of one of our, our girls that we've grown to love and care for, you know, like a normal human being. Um, but yeah, so Kong likes blondes. And yeah, it's just kind of cool. Jeff Bridges is kind of cool. He he says like we can't take Kong. Uh, we can't interrupt with their, their like... I don't know their festivities they're like their ritual i guess that's probably the best term because we're going to contaminate their magic and i love that because like their whole society is built around kong it's built around like we build up the like every decade or whatever to like give kong a new bride we fear kong that like brings our like our uh community together he's like if we take this we get in the way of this then like they're going to be drunks they're going to be like they'll have no will to live like they're just going to be isolated with no purpose and classic like white leader was like why do i give a shit why do i care and jeff bridge is like you know what i've had enough of this. this is bullshit and he's like i'm gonna just leave i'm gonna go on the island i'm gonna study like kong because that's what i'm here for he's like he even says to them like you must have a conscience you know that like we can't take this endangered species we can't destroy the civilization and you can see like the guy the captain the oil guy he's like ah. but the money talks and the money talks and uh you know, ultimately, I get that, but, like, at, there's you got to think about more than just yourself. But that's classic, like, 1970s Americans especially, mostly just 1970s, like, Westerners, to be honest. So they make a deal. They make a deal for um, for Dwan. Six girls for one Duan. Like, hey, this would be a good deal. You can have these girls. Like, we don't want them to be gone, um, but we really want Dwan. A lot of wor- <laughs> words rhyme with Dwan. Uh I don't know. And they're like, we'll give you these six girls. Like, we'll give you these six girls. Then we'll be on good terms with each other for a trade. And you just have to give us Dwan. And they're like, God, no. And I'm just thinking, like, where was the connection to Dwan? None of them are dating Dwan. They literally found Dwan floating on a raft. And, like, if they're already going to be that cutthroat, like, yeah, we'll destroy a whole community. We'll take their, like, giant creature. We'll, like, rip their society apart for oil. But they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This, like, white girl with, like, really low IQ we just met five minutes ago, you're out of your goddamn mind. Like, that's not happening. No way. They start firing guns everywhere. And I was like, why? Why? You're going to go to all these lengths, but you won't give up Dwan. I would have given up Dwan like that. Like, gone. Uh, like, they want the oil so bad. And that was their ticket to partnership. And if anything, it just shows that, like, the evil oil guys are just people, I guess. Like, real people. Like, no, we're not doing, like, a life for a life kind of thing but I mean at the same time they're still kind of corrupt I did like that like most times bad guys and things are like I'm bad because I'm bad or I'm bad because I want money but in this one they're like literally we're just doing a job we're trying to make money we're still people because like at the end and like during the middle of the film the oil guys are just cool like whoa well, you can't do that or no you're out of your mind or we have to do this for like the publicity they're never just like who gives a shit about Kong he'll dance if we tell him to they're never like that which I do kind of admire. It's kind of nice, kind of like a humbling thing, but they're still bad guys at the end of the day. Um, But ultimately, Duan is kidnapped, and yeah, she gets gets taken. Uh, You see Kong, and Kong is just absolutely glorious. Without basically saying the depiction of Kong is arguably one of the best, Kong in itself is always like a high point for innovation and for whatever sort of... um, movement they're going for not movement um i guess special effects techniques like when 33 came out it was like stop motion this is what you can do everybody's like oh my god i cannot believe that that is like not real it looks so real and i mean it doesn't look so real in today's standards but it still looks very 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 good same with when peter jackson's came out that was like high point um CGI like no one had seen anything like that before and it was it was groundbreaking and still beautiful it's stellar it's amazing when you watch it and for King Kong 1976 sure there were men in suits before but none of the suits were made by Rick Baker. Rick Baker if you've listened to past episodes or if you are just like a monster person or a movie person you know he is one of the guys one of the top guys um, when it comes to special effects when it comes to makeup mostly makeup and he absolutely killed it. He is basically the guy you get if you're ever doing a monkey. He's done. He did the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes, which that could be a whole episode. Uh, he did like Harry and the Hendersons. He did before this film. He did Schlock, um, which was kind of a man uh, like a like a Bigfoot kind of a suit. He does monkeys. He not only did this suit, he performed Kong. This is spectacular. The suit is so good, and it's, like, bipedal Kong. I love bipedal Kong. I'm never, I've never really been a fan of Gorilla Kong. Like, I know he is kind of like a gorilla, but, like, I don't want a big silverback gorilla. Like, Peter Jackson, that's basically like, hey, Kong is just basically a big gorilla. And it's, like, great, but Kong is supposed to be, like, otherworldly. Like, sure, he's huge, but, like, he's supposed to look like something that isn't quite like, isn't quite relatable. You know, it's already enough that he's kind of a gorilla. He doesn't have to be a full gorilla. And King Kong 1933 kind of draws that line a little bit. Like, he's basically a gorilla, but he's not really a gorilla. In this, he is, like, a man-sized gorilla. And he doesn't just look like a man in a suit. He is flawless in, in so many ways. It's just, like, the way he's constructed the suit. You can't... You The only thing that, like, really kind of looks human which is kind of neat it 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 lends itself beautifully to the film is 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 brick baker's eyes i'm sure i'm pretty sure he's wearing contacts in them but it's just the way like just the way the emotion is conveyed through those eyes to be fair i've never looked at a gorilla's eyes before but i would have to imagine that they don't have the same sort of life in them like i i obviously they have something right they're primates but I don't know, it lends itself perfectly having human eyes, but also being this like otherworldly like type creature. And Kong is just badass. He looks shredded, he looks big, he looks like he doesn't mess around. They've got like all of the movements in the mouth and the eyes and the nose and everything's working at like full tilt. I, I can't think of the guy's name. There was an Italian special effects guy, Rombaldi, Rombaldi. Ah, gosh, I am not near a computer right now. Otherwise I would definitely check that out for you guys. But he did some of the uh, prosthetics and, um, I guess, mechanical aspects of the actual suit. But he is glorious. He is unbelievable. Easily my favorite Kong. Easily. Hands down. It's just great. And also, too, I love that. um, That's another reason why I liked Kong Skull Island. I know I keep jumping back and forth through all the Kong movies, so try and stay with me. But Kong Skull Island, I felt, more than anything, was like a love letter to the Toho films. Like the Godzilla films, for those who aren't familiar, where Kong is more bipedal, Kong has longer arms, and he basically like asserts himself more with a a um, like a uh, like a with like a Homo Sapien type stance than more of a, a gorilla stance. And I do dig that. I dig that. But also, it 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 feels like a love letter to seventy six in a lot of ways, especially being set in the seventies. I, I don't know. I just dug it. I thought it was cool. Cool amount of similarities. Um, but yeah, you are gonna see Rick Baker's suit. And yeah, like I said, he kind of, and I don't really want to use this term, but I feel like we're going to kind of, we're falling onto this term a bit, but he, there's a couple too many scenes with like the rapey eyes where he's like, he's like staring at one and he's like, and he's like, he's like looking and you're like, okay, once was enough, twice is pushing it. You know, it's just like that saying, the saying we all know, once is nice, but twice is mice. Um, it's a very old saying. Don't even question it. Don't think about it. And yeah, I just, I don't know. His suit is perfect. I can't really find any flaws in it. The only flaws is that you don't get to see him do so much with it. Like I'm gonna, I'm, I don't like I said, I don't want to go through the plot too, too much. But I will jump back a little bit in a second. But there's like in 1970, uh, 1973, in the, in 1933, Kong fights a plethora of creatures from the T Rexes to um, I don't know if he fights a Stegosaurus, but he fights he fights stuff. He's like going through the jungle. He fights like a pterodactyl. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure the, the cut scene was him in a tarantula pit. Um, I don't know if it was ever reconstructed, but I think Peter Jackson might have done a version of it. And then in Peter Jackson's, obviously, he fights the two T-Rexes, and can't think of... Ah, maybe he fights something else. But in 1976, he fights in a big, like, Snake, like a boa constrictor or something, which is very, very cool. And it's rad, and like he like tears his mouth open, like and like the blood's like just like spewing out everywhere. And then he's like, and he pounds his chest, and you're like, all right, this is rad. But other than that, he doesn't fight anything like anything. The most of the film is just him playing with Dwan or like interacting with Dwan. There's one other kind of cool ish scene where Jeff Bridges and a bit of the crew, they're, they're i don't know kind of like trying to cross this giant log and kong's like pissed and so he's just like he's having fun with them it's kind of twisted because like you're watching it for the first couple seconds and you're like okay like just flip them off the log you're this massive creature but then you realize that kong again drawing a kind of like human parallels he's just like literally fucking with them he's like twisting the log slowly he's so pissed he wants them to struggle and then and to die uh and i i just thought it was it was superb it's great But other than that, you don't really see, like, okay, let me cut Tyler off here for a second. You do see some, like, serious shit. But that's, like, at the end of the film. But until the end, there's nothing. Nothing. It already took long enough to see Kong, and then there's, there's you don't really get to see him in, like, full tilt. And as I'll touch on later, that's why King Kong Lives is the raddest. It is, like, super, super, it basically, like, the story is, like, hey, story, take a back seat. Action and effects? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come up here to the front. That's basically what King Kong Lives is. Um, But we'll get to that. So anyways, Duan's taken. Kong takes her. It's a really rad scene. Easily one of the best scenes where Kong, like, approaches Duan. And Duan isn't fei Ray, so she's not like, ah! She screams, but it's nothing, like, ridiculous. Like, fei Ray, I don't know how she didn't... She must have, like, burnt out. Like, her throat must have just been useless after all that screaming. So then the crew is like, shit, Duan's gone. And so they come back. And there's kind of a it's kind of tongue in cheek. This movie is very tongue in cheek, a lot more than I remembered. I did just do a recent rewatch, and it is a lot more tongue in cheek than I remembered. They make a lot of self self referential jokes, and they also like, and they also kind of beat around the bush with like past entries or like other films that are, it came out around the similar time. Um, like for example, they come here and it's like, who took her? Where did she go? And then I think it's Jeff Bridges who says like, who the hell? Uh, like, who the hell do you think took her? Like, some guy in an ape suit? Like, a classic, like, trope in, like, a 30s film. But, like, like you know, you get it. You get the, is, isn't is it ironical, you know? That's, like, kind of, like, how that goes. Because, yeah, it's a man in a suit. So, yeah, just before an hour. That's how long it took. Just before an hour into this film. This film is just over two hours, maybe. Like, two hour, ten minutes. So, one, one hour in, we finally see Kong. A whole hour so i like in that regard i can totally understand why people are like this was wow because there isn't even anything exciting up until that point at least in peter jackson's there's like s- plot development and like cool effects and yada yada and like in in 1933 you're just kind of along for the ride because again they're setting a plot in this it's just kind of like the, the characters just kind of fall into the story if that makes sense which I, is definitely a detractor from the film and it kills a lot of the rewatchability like i feel if they were to cut down at least ugh, I, know, I feel like a half is a lot but even if it's just half yeah half like cut half of that then i think it would be a lot better uh so kong picks her up uh he's off in the jungle now with Duan. uh she mentions she can't do heights and that she'll never go on the empire state building again because she threw up when she was 11 which again A clever nod, seeing as how they don't actually make Klong, uh, Klong, Jesus, Kong climb that building in this one. He climbs the World Trade Center, the, uh, the, what is it, the Twin Towers, R.I.P., yep. So it's kind of cool because, and there's like this super ridiculous illusion, like later, like, where they're like, Where is he going? And Jeff Bridges is like, I think I have an idea. I've seen this before. And he looks at the the twin towers in like the moonlight. It's a cool shot, I'm not gonna lie. But then like they superimpose this like matte painting of like weird twin ish shaped mountains. And he's like, He must he's gonna be going there because like that's the highest point. And it's like Oh you there could have there must have been definitely a better way to go about that. But sure, let's shoehorn that in there. And to be fair, like at that time I I don't know. I don't even know if up until, like, 2001 they were. But at that point in time, in 1976, the World Trade Center was, like, the bee's knees. It was the hip-happening, biggest building in New York. And, like, they were superb-looking. And so, of course, he's got to climb those bad boys. And he does. He does. But uh, originally it was the, the Empire State Building, which is, like, a, the iconic scene where, like, Kong is, like, swinging from, like, the tower portion of it, like, the, the actual needle of it. The antenna and he's like swatting at the airplanes that's like the iconic scene you don't get that you get something a lot more graphic and a lot less memorable um, in in certain regards absolutely and yeah so it's, again a tongue-in-cheek okay okay i know i was bringing this up before uh and i've mentioned a little bit but about the the old rapey eyes but uh Wukong is playing with her in the water so he's like there's this like kind of nice scene and the huge animatronic hand, that hand goes through so much because they have to do scenes where Kong's picking her up or playing with her and stuff. It's this huge, huge hydraulic hand, massive. Like we're talking like theme part looking hand, but it does so many things. It can move all the fingers. It can perfectly bend. It can make a fist. It can like withstand the water. You can see like the ripple in the rubber when like the hand's going in the water. But yeah, it's, it's really cool. He's got like this weird sexual energy. He, like, pulls off, like, her top, I'm pretty sure. Like, pushes down her top. And I, I'm i almost positive. Like, her titties come out. But I'm almost positive a nipple was in there. And I was like, oh, Kong, you you scandalous. You scandalous rascal, you. Because, like, why would it... Um, like, I get it. Like, primates and, and all of that. It's similar. Why would Kong want to see titties? Like, it's such, like, a little, hey, do you want to see Jessica Lang's boobs? For, like, one second. Because, like, I feel... That's like, I don't know, the seventies were a different time, man. They were a crazy time. And then like again he's like get this big old smile, like like staring at her and you're like, Okay, let's let's pull it in here, Kong. Let's pull it in here. Also too, like he's like dunking her and she's like, Oh oh, oh and you're like, Okay, is like is Jessica Lang, like is Dwan getting off here? And his face gets so weird. He had this crazy look in his eyes, and he said, let's get it on. But that's basically what that feels like. The hand is amazing. That's easily the best part of that scene. Um, It has so much functionality, and you see it a lot. This film is very ambitious that way. Uh, Apparently, they were going to do this massive, massive, like 25 feet tall animatronic that was going to do some stuff. And, I mean, if you know anything about this movie, you know about this, this story. They built this whole thing. They dumped money into it. They definitely could have saved a lot of money. They dumped... That, that Italian guy that I had mentioned before, Rambaldi, Ribaldi, I feel like his name is something very similar to that. Anywho, he's like, I'm going to make a Kong. And I think that at one point that was their selling point. Like, yeah, like Kong is going to, we're actually going to make a huge Kong like that. And I think the whole Rick Baker being Kong for the entire film was a very last minute thing. I think he was going to do some of the makeup um, for certain shots. And stuff that they couldn't use the robot for like faster scenes or fight scenes or something like that. But all of it was supposed to be this animatronic. And he is in the film. He does show up. Uh, he's at the, the you know the New York unveiling uh, where he's in the cage. And you can see, like, I'm not even going to say like this robot is a dud. Like it is. But you do see its arms move. move. Um, you see its head move. It's like he's kind of like twisting around, his eyes are opening and closing, and you're like, okay, that's, again, crazy because this thing is massive in 19, in the 70s, right? So tons of money put in there, but it definitely did not work, and it did not look real. It's hard to make something that big look that real, especially when you're, it's on film and you're staring at it for a long time. If it was like a couple blink-and-you-miss-it shots for certain things, that'd be great, but obviously that's not the purpose that they wanted it to serve, but very ambitious, very ambitious. Uh, You can even see that, like, they switch the Kong, the robot uh, Kong with the live-action Kong, and it's very noticeable. Like, they tried, but they didn't try very hard, uh, because you can tell right away. But, I mean, the dimensions of the two different Kongs, because, obviously, Rick Baker was not modeled for that Kong, right? They probably built that Kong long before, like, rick baker was put in the suit so obviously there's going to be some differences but if you're paying attention you notice it right away and then you can never not see it again um yeah so the hand is really cool you see the hand in a few scenes the rubber moves around a lot of the times but it's still super amazing i i can't get enough of it like the hand in 33 granted it's 33 it's very rubbery. It's cool that they made it, and I think it might even bend a little bit, which is just, wow, hats off to them for 1933 doing that um, and surprised that, like, Fay Wray just wasn't absolutely mangled by that God knows, like, steam-powered machine. I'm not saying 1930s was all steam-powered, but, like, God knows safety was not the first thing on their mind. Um, but that is really cool. Um, right. So kind of hopping all over the place here they go to pick up kong they they see kong they find dwane and they're like okay so the oil thing was a bust so this is what we're going to do i found kong and i'm not going home empty handed so somehow so this place keep in mind this place was okay so they he's like i'm going to get kong he orders one of the petrox planes the petrox is a fict- fictional company in the in this movie that the oil company, it's the oil company, Petrox. So all of a sudden, this massive Petrox plane flies in real low, finds them, drops off supplies, which somehow include a bulldozer. Yes, so the boat that they have is massive, but had nothing on it. I don't know, like, they must have thought, yeah, we're not only, are we gonna go to this island with maybe 15 people, but we're also gonna establish an oil drilling facility with nothing and no machinery, And then we're going to fill this whole huge cargo container, the same cargo container that made like a, I don't know, a 20 foot tall, 20 foot tall gorilla look like a peanut in it. We're going to fill it all up with oil. So again, it's like, ah, if you really look at it, you're like, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So this plane, again, finds them, comes in real low, drops up tons of supplies, guns. um, Oh, what is that called? chloroform drops off a bulldozer and you're like a bulldozer like anybody who works any industrial job knows a bulldozer is like easily one of the heaviest pieces of equipment you have but anyways they air they airdrop a bulldozer uh and literally at the start of the film they said the island was so small and so covered in such a thick dense fog that it hadn't been found on any radar or satellite yet that plane somehow found them flew in low enough And Pinpoint found them in this island. So it's like, I don't know, building up, like, why add all those layers if you're just going to, like, you know, bury your own hole and, like, plot? But it's, like, one of those things that, like, if you're not looking for an issue, you're not going to think too much about it. But I was like, what? I, I don't know. It didn't make too, too much sense to me, but yep. And so they take Kong. We are easy at an hour and a half here. So they take Kong and he's like just sad as F. He's like in the bottom of this um, boat and two or three crew members come with like enough fruit on this plate for like a small gathering of four to five people. They bring about three plates and they're like, hey Kong, is this good for you, buddy? He's like, oh, he like just gargles like, like help me. Basically, He was like, rawr. It wasn't like. I gotta kelly you, I gotta kill. it wasn't like that, and they're like, Oh no, and they literally from the top hatch of the boat, the top hatch, this container, as I've been mentioning, is massive, massive, like you can barely see Kong in the bottom corner of this thing. they dump it from the top like it literally would splatter and this like explode when it hits the ground, they're dropping like grapefruit they're dropping oranges, tomatoes, bananas, and there's probably just. And, like, so what, is Kong just supposed to, like, get on his hands and knees and just lick that? It can't be a close voyage. I would have to imagine, because they were natives and they were black, that they were probably, like, a few continents over from New York. If I had to imagine, so it's not, a, like, a short trip. You have literally this animal who was the king of his domain, who could eat and do whatever he wanted. Now he's stuck in this little corner, and he has to lick fruit mush off the ground, I was like, yeah, I get it. I know it's supposed to be sad. I know it's supposed to be like that. But like this film, especially in comparison, and again, I really don't want to, but it's almost impossible. They try kind of to make you feel bad for Kong, but they don't at the same time. It feels like Duan should be the one who's caring. She really should be the one who's caring. But at the end of the day, the, the only one who kind of, like, feels like he cares, as Jeff Bridges' character, he's really the one, he's really the blonde beauty in this movie, if you know what I mean, like, he's the one who cares about Kong, he's the one who tries to stop them from doing stuff, and he's not trying to do it, because he's trying to bone Duan, he's not trying to, like, um, get in a movie, he's literally there to study, like, the, the all of, like, the, the wildlife, all of, like, the, um, the, like, what is that, anthology of anthology, Ah, anthropology, anthology. Come on, Tyler. So he's there to study the anthropology of like the tribes of like their history. He wants to study the flora, the fauna. He wants to study Kong. He's heard rumors about Kong. He was listening off all those dates, all those like history bits about people that had described Kong, Uh, and everybody else doesn't care. Like I said, Duan. Like they're like, hey, Duan. Like. Um, we leave the monkey here or you're going to be a huge star. And she's like, "Um, well, okay, I'm a huge star. There was like no debate. There wasn't like, no, we can't do this to him. Nothing, nothing like that. And it's like, okay, so she's not, she's clearly not interested. Again, they find her on a raft. She's a ditzy piece of shit, basically. And she after all that, she's like bonding with Kong evidently. Like, I mean, the bonding, you do see more of the bonding, which is nice. She's not screaming 24-7 as I've said before, but it's just, you know, she's just kind of along for the ride, you know, (laughs) like, like, like there's those girls that are like, hey, a free trip. Yeah, sure. I'll play along. They're those kind of girls. And even when they're like, okay, so like Kong has escaped and uh, she's like, well, what are we going to do? And Jack, Jack, who's Jeff Bridges character is like, well, we have to go stop him or save him because they're going to just like annihilate him. And then she's like, oh shoot. But like at this point, you feel like that's my meal ticket more than, oh, they can't do that to him. It's Jeff Bridges is the one, like, no, we can't do that. And so anyways, the climatic scene happens. Kong climbs the towers, and uh, there's these huge, like, Black Hawk-style like helicopters with, like, the huge, like, miniguns on the side, like the rivet guns, and they're just, they're going to fire at Kong, and, like, she, Dwan has climbed up to the top of the building uh, with Kong, right? They've, they've gone up as a, as a couple, whether, I don't really remember if she was willing or not. And Jack's kind of watching from afar and he sees like the helicopters are like, they they take a couple shots at Kong and he's like, no. And like literally the blood's like, like just red everywhere. Just, and he's like, ah, he's just screaming. And you're like, Oh, like, fuck. I was not expecting this. Like the snake's mouth had a little bit of blood in it. Like it was like kind of gushing out and you're like, Oh, that was intense literally, like, four shots into Kong, and he's already got far more blood, just with four shots than that snake had in its mouth. That's it. And uh, Kong eventually, like, takes a hit at the helicopter and, like, just knocks it out or whatever. And then, like, Jack's like, yeah, yeah! And you can tell, like, Jack's like, yeah, like, eat it, right? Like, he's, like, on Kong's team. He wants Kong to win. He wants him to survive. He wants him to get out of there, right? And Kong, this this is the part I find the most heartbreaking... It's, to me, is, I already sound like I'm crying. I'm not, trust me. But, um, it, it to me, it is akin to the 1933 scene, if you're familiar, where Kong looks at Fey Ray just one more time, and he, like, puts her down. And, like, it was, like, you know, like, the whole scene, like, it it wasn't the planes, like, t'was beauty killed the beast. Because, like, he was so infatuated with her And in this, you get the same scene. Twan's like, no, like, let me, like, don't move me. Don't let me go. Like, let me stay on you. Like, if you're, if I'm not with you, they're going to shoot you. And he keeps, like, trying to protect her. So he keeps, like, taking her and he moves her over and, like, looking at her, like, assuring her it's going to be okay. Like, I'll protect you. And she's, like, screaming at this point. This is, like, really the only point, like, when she finally, like, oh, shit, I should probably pull my weight because... They're going to kill you. Like finally realizing his importance, finally realizing how much he cares about her. And I feel like I'm reading way into this, but that's basically what the Kong store usually is. Right. And she's like, please, no, they're going to kill you. Let me stay on you. And he's like, no, he's like looking at her like lovingly and longingly, like, no, he's pushing her away. And she's like screaming like, no. And Jack from afar is like, no. And like literally the machine guns are, like, all right, let's take him down, and they're just, and they're just, they're shooting, and, like, he is just being, like, like, the blood, he, he goes from, like, in within two minutes, he is, like, a dark brown, black, fluffy, furry gorilla, to just absolutely, like, that scene in Platoon, when, like, You know, the arms are in there, even if you haven't seen Platoon, like, Tropic Thunder, where they're making fun of it. And, like, his chest is just being, like, shot apart, and he's just covered in blood and, like, just being mangled. That's what happens here. He is, like, so, so coated in blood. So coated in blood. And eventually that he is, like, done. And he looks at her with, like, his dying, like, breath and slides off the building. And, like, the movie ends, I'm almost positive, like, boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 and then that's it. He's done, and like the camera. If I'm almost like I didn't watch it that recently. I watched it about a week ago now. But like the camera like pans out, and he's dead, and like everybody's like all the cameras like taking taking pictures, and like as powerful as the scene is in 1933, which is copied again almost shot for shot. That's why I like I don't like talking too too much about 2005. It's like Peter Jackson's like. What if we took 1933, put millions of dollars into it, pumped it full of CGI, cut every scene they cut out uh, of the original that made it fluid, and we just make it just this huge thing. But don't change anything. Keep it all exactly the same. It's like, why don't you just, like, r- like clean up the 33? No, 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 no. That film's perfect. Let's make a film that's longer, more drawn out. That's why I'm like, eh. I mean, it is what it is, but, like, halfway through that film, I'm usually like, holy fuck, like, are we finishing it up? Like piss or get off the pot kind of thing right and don't get me wrong i like long movies but like when scenes are cut it's not always because of budgetary or audience reaction it is like it just it's not fluid it doesn't work right we're going to cut it and peter jackson was like no 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 in my world we're gonna just shove it in there so but i feel like this scene is just as powerful like as soon as like kong falls it's like over it's just like this like this like this shock almost like this like weight he is just covered in blood. He gets shot off, like, the tallest building in New York. And as soon as he's, like, there, he's already gone. But don't think I forgot about the best part. Kong rips out of this New York, like, um, like let's not end on a sad note here, because it is sad. When Kong is first exposed and they, like, start pulling on Dwan, he's like, yeah, no, this ain't gonna fly. And he rips right out of the chains, rips right out of this huge cage. Like, the guy's like, don't worry, this cage is uh, monkey-proof. <laughs> he literally peels out of that thing like a banana, pun intended, once again. And um, he just rampages. Everyone's like, scatter, like John Mulaney, like, scatter. And they're all running around like, S-s-s. and he is just, like, eating people. He's crushing people, like, he's messing people up. And um, actually, I'm not too sure if he's eating people. I feel like he does, but I might be confusing it with a different film. But anyways, he's messing people up. And he goes into main New York, like like the actual city, not like on the outskirts kind of thing. And he is just absolutely decimating like things. He's decimating cars, looking like people all over the streets. This is like the huge special effects scene. This, like, other than the, um, him being gunned down, that's kind of what I was alluding to a little bit earlier. There's a scene where he takes the subway car off the tracks. Like, we've seen something like this before, but this is, like, the most intense. You see the full, I. it's, like, almost kaiju-level, like, scene. You see, like, the full suit in its, like, full glory, the special effects on the train, the electricity, like, like, sparks coming off. He's shaking this thing. They do, like, great, like, blue screen between, like, the people on the train that are freaking out, looking out at Kong, and he's, like, he's looking for Duan, right? He's shaking this thing, he takes a whole train, he pulls it, he throws it right off. so it's one of those like tracks that's like above the city level. Do you know what I mean? like it's a track that isn't underground. It's one that runs like maybe like fifteen feet or something like that over like the the road. He takes a train just poof, throws it off like I, I know it's like fiction, right obviously because the monkey and the whole that wouldn't happen, but just the fear of that like it's a simple thing like the train coming off the track being thrown off the track. You would never think a subway is gonna fall off of that thing. You've just grown so accustomed to the safety of it. So, to have a creature pick you up and throw you off of it with force is terrifying, just absolutely terrifying. And he takes this and he throws it down and he's looking for Dwan. He's looking in there, he's shaking the thing around. He's basically like, you know, like <laughs> it's basically like having like a couple tic tacs left in the thing and then they're like stuck. And he's looking at like he's like shaking this thing, he's looking for it. Like it's, it is terrifying and he's throwing it around. And there's sparks going off and wires and everything, and he that is like the to me the most other than him being gunned down or f- fighting the snake, or him actually even taking to tw- you know what there's a lot of great scenes, but to me that is one of the peak scenes of this of this whole little two part series of King Kong, and it is just glorious. It is the one. It is the scene that is in a lot of the Japanese posters. It is the scene that was on some T-shirts from what I saw. It is one of the best scenes. In fact, there is a Japanese poster, and I would hope to one day to get that framed, get maybe even original if I'm really rolling in the dough one day. And that, I think, would be perfect. The suit does nothing but like perfect things. Like It hits all the right notes. It's doing God's work, really. Rick Baker, I'm pretty sure, got an award for this, but I feel like he didn't. I feel like they made up for it when American Werewolf in London came out. I feel like maybe they did for special effects, though. But I don't know if he was the one who was nominated. I feel like he kind of got roped out of that one, unfortunately. Because I don't think the special effects so much were him. It was definitely more the makeup. Um... But really, yeah, that's, that's, that's basically all I actually have to say about King Kong 1976. I love the suit. I honestly, I love the suit to me. That is quintessential. King Kong is perfect. Perfect, perfect King Kong The change up of the formula is, it's honestly super refreshing. It is. Like, it doesn't hit the mark on every single note, but it is nice to have a different um, scenario. Like, sure, yeah, they still go to Skull Island. They still find Kong there. They still do the ritual, but it's for a different purpose. You have different typed characters, like different, yeah, different types of characters because you don't have, like, the quintessential male lead. You don't have, like, the... The director who's leading the whole thing you have Jeff Bridges who is the caring uh, guy who is the intellectual he is the one who is actually he mainly cares about Kong more than anybody else he cares about the island more than anybody else I think he would have been fine if he was just left there to be perfectly honest and it's it's modernized which makes it feel it's it's just like a different slice of life you know like it makes you feel it's more relatable It. I feel the longer King Kong 1933 and 2005 age, it will always feel like a time piece. It will always feel like a historical piece and it gets lost in further and further fantasy, which I love. Don't get me wrong. I think it's amazing. I think it adds to like the aura of it. But I think having 1976 King Kong rooted in the 70s, it makes it feel more modern. It makes it feel more relatable. And it it honestly, in a sense, makes it feel more frightening at times. It, it, it definitely hypes up the terror aspect of it because thinking of how you would react if a, if a giant ape-like creature was loose in New York is terrifying. And I don't think you really get that fear anymore with the longer 1933 and 2005 age. I really don't. The music is great. It's a little softer my taste, but it it sets the mood perfectly. The effects are top-notch. Not just the makeup, I mean, like the blood. I mean, the the miniatures... Everything is great. The way they blue screen everything, like how they're superimposing stuff. It all works for me. It's almost flawless how they insert Kong into certain shots or how they insert um, Fade. I almost said Fade down away. And how they insert Jessica Lange into certain scenes. You can barely, barely, you have to be looking for it. You can find the outline in it of where the, these uh, actors and like the suits are inserted into certain, to certain shots. And um, you can just tell a lot of love was put into this film. And, yeah, you can get the feeling at some points it's a cash grab. And, yeah, it doesn't deliver on every aspect. Sure. I think the biggest complaint of most people who watch this is that I wanted more creatures. And I can definitely get behind that. But I think what we got is super satisfying. And, um, yeah, I I feel like I want to say so much more. Like, I wanted to dump... <laughs> dump. I wanted to jump, like, into the history a bit of it. But I, I have nothing really now off the off the cuff. And... Maybe when I talk about King Kong Lives, I'll get into a little bit more of the history of, of just this uh, this little King Kong series. But I think that's it. I think that's all I can talk about. It's not a perfect film, but damn, it is memorable. And to me, it is like, I don't know, top three. There's not too many King Kong films. There's lots of King Kong spin-offs, but I think it's a top three film. It, it definitely cycles between second and third all the time. Nothing in it will ever top 33, but between this and King Kong Lives it's, uh, it's up there for me. I I think they, they get a bad, they get a bad reputation and and it's, it's super unnecessary. Plus a lot of people don't know they exist and that in itself is a crime. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think that's all I have to say about that. So with that, why don't we, uh, why don't we talk about some King Kong lives? Maybe just after a small, small break, I think you're going to love this break.
1: And now, this message. And now you can build your own King Kong with these challenging King Kong model kits. You need no glue, no special tools. Just snap together and paint it, and you have a realistic model of Kong fighting the giant snake. Or for a real challenge, build King Kong on top of the Twin Towers. When you're finished, they make a great addition to any kid's room. King Kong model kits come complete with easy-to-follow picture instructions by Mego. Hey everyone, you're listening to Poetry Pause with Nancy Savio Poetry. In the zoo of life, people love to tap on the glass. To tow the line between control and chaos. Beyond the barrier is a beast that, in other circumstances, would easily conquer those whose fingers flick the frame. People mistake security for power. If the barriers were removed, roles would reverse quickly. No longer in the zoo, we are in the jungle. The same beasts that you contained now have power over you. Why does this make us uncomfortable? Power. Control. We crave it even when we know we cannot have it. We place those more powerful in clear cages while we keep a safe distance. People will fear your power because they once believed they had it. In the zoo of life, break the glass. Be a Kong instead of a Cocoa. for a big car as good as a Volkswagen, maybe you should look into our big car, the Volkswagen 411. It has some things no Volkswagen ever had, like four big doors and lots of room and luxury for the whole family. It has some
0: advanced things most cars don't have, like electronic fuel injection, an automatic
1: preheating system, and a big trunk up front. But you don't have to be a genius to drive the 411 because it comes with an automatic transmission, also as standard equipment. So now, there's a Volkswagen big enough
0: for just about everyone. The Volkswagen 411 four-door sedan.
1: Now, back to our program.
0: So, King Kong does its thing and it's hugely successful in the box office like easily one of the biggest films that summer, if not the biggest, and the fifth highest grossing film of 1977 domestically. I I mean, it came out in December of 76, so I guess the numbers would go to 77. But that's crazy. That's crazy. But still, the numbers were nowhere near Jaws level big, and for a multitude of other reasons, and honestly, I'd have to assume the outcome of that court case, the one that I just spoke about earlier, definitely had something to do with it. The Kong franchise that could have been ultimately after this film, was dead even before it got going. That is, though, until an entire decade goes by, and in 1986, the world would learn that King Kong lives. right so king kong 1976 um the film opens to show the amazing but sad ending to 76 like it literally is a shot for shot recap it's not like they redid it it's literally they took it from the end of the film uh you you get to lovingly see the life fade from his eyes yet again in new york one last time and then it fades to black so that's like a, a classic like friday the 13th recap um so the screen now says Atlanta, Georgia, 10 years later. Now, if you're just watching this casually, it doesn't hold much weight. You just seeing like, yeah, Atlanta, Georgia, 10 years later. But really take a moment to think that they hauled this massive, massive monkey monster from the, like from the top to the bottom of a country. Like he was in New York. They bring him all the way to Georgia. A dead monkey, mind you. Like he was basically dead. So they hauled his body evidently in secret and they they've kept him here for 10 years. They kept him on life support for 10 years. 10 goddamn years. I just I don't know, completely in secret, I don't know how in secret. Uh it seems ridiculous and impossible, but that's how it is. Again, it's like a blink and you miss it. You don't think about it, but if you actually think about it, it's like, what? I don't I don't know. But at the same time I love it. I kind of love it. The fact that that is how he he that's how he's there. Like they took His dead body from New York, and he's been on life support somehow for 10 years. Anyways, also, why Georgia? Like, in the film, why? Like, do they have. Does the Georgia. Is the Georgia Institute a good school? Like, I don't understand why Georgia I understand on like a an actual aspect is probably cheap as hell to film down there they could really spread like their budget out like a lot more but I just don't understand why they couldn't have just said it was somewhere else but anyways I, I really I don't know so the film has the same director whose name is John Gillerman Giller, um, also, and also has the same production company it's still produced by Dino De Laurentiis um, but it's actually his wife um, who I can't, I think her name's like Linda Schumacher. Ah, uh, Julie, maybe. Ah, oh, goddamn, I can't think of her name. But basically, his wife is a Schumacher. She's the one who produced it. Also, Carlos Rambaldi re- returns for the effects and the creature work. Yes, his name is Rambaldi. Carlos Rambaldi. Um, so the beauty is recording at different times for this episode, has allowed me to write that wrong. It's not Robaldi or Ronaldo or whatever I said. It's Carlos Rambaldi. He came back. Um, which is great thank god like thank god like there's no rick baker but thank god uh and also no paramount this time which kind of sucks they don't have that paramount money it's literally an indie film in that regard uh, it's just Dilo, dino de la money which you do see but god damn do they stretch the money out in this film so yeah no paramount no rick baker uh which does it kind of sucks but it's probably the right call on both of their 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 parts to be perfectly honest in the film though so i haven't left the 5 minute mark yet and i'm already wondering why they've built another huge giant ape body to be on life support they there is a there's multiple scenes in the film but even just at this 5 minute mark where they there's a giant ape body at life's in in life support they've built this whole set around him this giant body and it is it's a giant body like i was like ah oh, maybe it's blue screen but like, they're getting pretty close it's like no that is a a giant ape body—they built one. Like their budget is tight, and that's what they're spending their money on. Like, don't get me wrong—it's way rad. It's really, really cool that they did that. Especially like in today's like day and age, they wouldn't do that. And back then, it was like, all right, I guess we got to build a physical prop. It was—it's like it's really, really cool. But when your budget is only ten million dollars, like for this film, it seems like they could have gotten around that somehow. Like maybe just shown the head with tubes or something. I don't think you need it to have the body, but goddamn, do I love that they have that body, but I don't, there's a couple of different scenes with like giant, like full size props for Kong. And I was just thinking that there's, they definitely didn't even include that in the 76, like the 76 had workarounds with a much bigger budget, which I don't, I don't know. I don't understand, but maybe not. Maybe it's not that expensive to build. I can't imagine it's not though. It is cool. It's cool. But that, I'm five minutes in, and that's that's what I'm wondering. That's how I'm watching this film. So if you're wondering, like, oh, man, is he going to dissect this film? I really didn't want to, but damn, like, that's just how, that's how my mind works. So the premise for this film is pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. King Kong has been hanging in there for 10 years after his tango with those helicopters in New York. So in Georgia, they've built this massive artificial heart to get him back in working order. I guess at the time when this was made... The first like artificial heart was made for humans, and like it was a big deal. It's like a massive scientific breakthrough. So they're like, "Hey, let's capitalize on this." Don't ask me why. I have no idea why they were like, "Yes, this is the thing. This is where we're at. This is what King Kong needs to have: is a giant heart. This will solve all our issues." I don't. Un- I don't understand. I don't know. Um, but that's what they did. So that's their plan to get him back in working order. Only problem is that somehow, I don't get this either. Somehow, in the ten years he's been snoozing he's never regenerated enough blood to make it through potential surgery to put that heart in. I just don't understand after 10 years how you haven't generated enough blood. Like he's been sleeping, I just don't understand. So where will the blood come from, you're asking? The answer will shock you. Veterinarians around the world hate him, but seriously, (laughs) don't worry, we're getting there. So the film stars Linda Hamilton, who's doing her best with absolutely nothing for her character, absolutely nothing. Uh, she plays the main doctor behind Kong's new heart and his recovery. Um, but let's make something very clear here. This film is Kong's film. He is the star, and this film almost primarily focuses on him, and that's honestly, like, the biggest, like, a huge, like, the the it factor, like, the huge reason I love this film, and why I would say it's honestly underappreciated, especially for people who, like, I'm I'm a Kong fan— there's people who are like, I choose King Kong films over Godzilla films. Those people are weird. Cause it's just like, I love watching the same movie again and again. Cause for the most part, there's three films that are almost identical, like almost verbatim identical. Um, there's a few other f- canon-ish films that like aren't identical, but they follow very similar tropes. Like I personally enjoy Kong for Kong. He's like a tragic character. He's a hero in a lot of regards and like, I don't know. I, I I like seeing different different edges and different sides to him, because, because like he doesn't have as many films as Godzilla, as I've said before. Like Godzilla's got over like thirty films, so there might be different times his character character style, character arc, character development changes. It might just be for that film. But you're like, oh, there's a little different taste they didn't have. Kong doesn't have that. He's got like seven films compared to like thirty five. So it's a little bit different. So when you get a film like this that is opening up and saying, hey, do you want a little extra? It's like. Why wouldn't you jump on that? So I don't, yeah, this is, this is the film. If you're like, I want more Kong, this is the film for the love of God. If you haven't seen it, put it on, especially now. Cause like, again, spoiler warnings for this film. Like if you thought, oh, he's just going to spoil 76, but he's not going to spoil King Kong lives. Think again. So the film jumps right away. Like we see, we find it about the heart, blah, blah, blah. It jumps right away to like a, a poor man's like Carrie Elwes, Ca- Carrie Elwes. What is his name is it Els? it is always right yeah um from you know princess bride or robin hood men in tights that's exactly what he looks like kind of like a nick nolte like chin kind of i don't know like a young nick nolte not like an old sounds like a blender eating metal nick nolte and uh so he stumbles onto this big female kong completely with weird pseudo believably realistic ape titties i don't know it was weird like, I, I I didn't need to see it, but I guess that is, like, a, a way to show that that's the female because, like, they, they can't talk or act effeminate because, like, or effeminate? Feminine? Because it's just not something that happens in the animal kingdom. Um, so that actor, by the way, isn't the best, like, by any means. I mean, he isn't given a lot, but his, his scenes are, hands down, some of the worst in the film. And, like, he always seems to be drinking a beer, and then all of a sudden at halfway through the film... He goes from being like this money hungry, grubby guy that's just like, ah, I'm lazy. And I'm just in it for a quick fix to all of a sudden like, no, I'm all about the animals. And like, this isn't right. And I need to do this. It's I at I, no point. Do you see this, the the jump? And I was like, where was the jump? Where was like the moment where he's like, this isn't right. It would make sense if he's like, no, they can't do this because that's my meal ticket. But he's never like that. So I never, I don't know. Anywho, so Lady Kong chases him. Then bam, there's a bunch of indigenous people They come out. They pelter with poison darts all over the titties. Just again, where did they come from? Then he calls that Georgia Institute immediately. Where did he get that number? Why did he call them first? It's all like back to back to back too. And it's like, there's so many odd little things that come into play here to keep things moving, like to keep the plot moving. But just thinking about it, it's, it's just, it's weird. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. It is. It's weird as fuck. It doesn't make any sense. It's just like, where did the indigenous people come from? Because, like, you get the idea he's just by himself. And then they come out of nowhere. They, like, pelt her all with these darts. And then that's it. They're not addressed again. They're never seen again. They're never mentioned again. Then all of a sudden he's on the phone. He was supposed to be in, like, the absolute wilderness. But now he's on the phone with the Georgia Institute right away selling this monkey. A. How did he know they needed the monkey? B. How did he get their number? Like, it's just like, I I don't... I don't... Okay, I don't know. So also, keep this in mind too, for these little like tidbitty things that I'm like, why are they happening? An oil company found that original island off the coast of nowhere in 1976. But in like in 10 years time after King Kong, the world wasn't somehow looking for another Kong. They weren't trying to find the original Kong. There was nobody like picketing being like, you can't just get rid of that body, like blah, blah, blah. There'd be people like that doing all that. And nope, just a clean wipe. And nobody's looking for it. The body was moved in secret. I don't get it. But if I sat here and ripped apart this movie and like looked for little tidbits and like nitpicking it, we'd add like another two hours to this podcast. On the other hand, though, if you focus on what's good, sure, it's going to be closer to twenty or thirty minutes worth of time. But the good in this film is so goddamn good. Like I. Watching this again, I was like, oh man, like I, I didn't remember what, like all those things from 76, the good and the bad, like the bad. But I was watching this I was like, damn, like, don't get me wrong, <laughs> it is not a cakewalk to watch this this film, Spe- like, I mean like the human dialogue, the human like plot, it's all pretty, pretty rough. But everything to do with Kong, fantastic. And for the most part, you, this is including the people, the kind of like the tongue-in-cheek charm and like jokes and stuff like that that like you you kind of, if you dug that in '76 they're all back. So, anyways, they take Lady Kong's blood. They save Kong. The surgery is a success. The amount of money they spend on the life-size lab and all the equipment for Kong is absolutely crazy. Going back to what I said with like building the huge miniature, they show all of the intricate details, like all of these machines and stuff. It's like, did you really need to? Like, yeah, sure. It adds to the realism. But it's like, your budget is so fucking tight. Why are you doing this? It, like, you could have used that money for other things. And like, God damn it, did they need it for some other things? They really did. Uh, it just seems so odd to choose that route. But I love it. Like I said, I love it all the same just for them doing it. Just because they did it. Like, the guys were like, no, no, no we need to show every intricate detail of these machines that are keeping Kong alive. We need to show all the tubes going to his mouth. We need to show his feet in relation to his head and somebody looking at him and making it very clear that it's not a blue screen. Like these people were not inserted into the shot. I dug it, but I, being a realist, it's like, why would you do that? I don't know. Odd choice. Um, but also too, I was thinking, where is that big fake Kong heart now? Like, where did it go? Where would you put something like that? I was wondering, like, which collector had it? Who would collect stuff like that? Who has a huge con collection? Like, I know some people that have some small, like, things in Hollywood, stuff like that. But is it, like, just stored in a big Hollywood warehouse? Which Hollywood warehouse stores stuff like that? Do they even store stuff like that? Does it just, like, degenerate, like, deteriorate or get buried or, like, broken down or, like, what? Like, I don't know. Was it papier-mâché, like, painted? Like, who knows where that thing is? But it would be cool to know, right? Like, I, I don't know. So anyways, <laughs> right off the hop, once once they really start showing you those two kongs, like Lady Kong and King Kong, you ultimately see that the effects and the costumes are not at all what they were and they are honestly really missing Rick Baker. That's kind of what I was saying, like you take the, some of that money that you needed to build all those sets with and just put it into the costumes, please. Like Lady Kong's teeth, for example, look awful. They look atrocious it basically looks like something akin to a dollar store mask, you know, and you can see like all of like the, the plastic and like the rubber isn't quite, you know, uh, molded correctly. And like the paint's kind of like all over the place. And like, you can tell all the teeth are kind of like together, even though they should be separated with like lines at least or whatever. That's kind of what it looked like. That being said, I feel that the Kong, like Kong more specifically is, is acted much better and, like, I feel every bit of him as a character. You know what I mean? Like, I get what he's feeling. I'm getting his reactions. I'm totally, like, on a primal level being like, yeah, I would do that too. Or I would be upset too. Like, you, you're you feeling all that stuff. It's not just, like, an animal. He feels like a fully fledged, fleshed out character. And I dug that. And that definitely comes from, like, the person in the suit acting him. Don't get me wrong. Rick Baker's um, costume itself, like, lended a lot more to... Um, different like emotions through the eyes through the mouth through the nose but i didn't ever really feel as much for him it's hard to say i just mean like ha- having a more limited um get up and costume you're doing a lot more on screen and while they could have phoned it in i feel like they definitely did not and it they give it everything they can with what they have and i really felt the character got a lot out of that if that makes any sense I didn't think they could improve over 76, but here we are. The film also establishes what makes Kongs run sexually, which is weird. But like, again, as a Kong fan, I was like, I am digging this. Like, give me all like the little Kong lore and tidbits you can. You see in the film, they both smell each other from further than a mile away. And the big conflict at the beginning of the film is that, no, we can't bring the Lady Kong here when like he's on the phone with him. Like Linda Hamilton is like, no, 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 do not bring that other Kong here. It's going to like... It's gonna infuriate him. It's gonna like drive him like he's gonna be like lustful, his heart rate's gonna be all over the place. We won't be able to perform the surgery. Like let's see if we can just make a deal to take the Lady Kong's blood. And they're like, no, you buy like the whole thing or you get none of it. That's basically what happened. But yeah, you see, like once the surgery is a like, success, they're like both just driven in like lustfully. Like it's crazy. But you don't know how that species works because really they're not gorillas. Like they're a whole other thing, the Kongs, which is, again, I was like eating it up. One more nitpick though, I know I didn't want to be negative, but like one more nitpick. I thought it was odd that Kong not only was fine after a very long and intense heart replacement surgery, like a heart replacement surgery, took out his heart. That's a huge cavity, taking out a heart and putting in a new heart. So not only is he fine, but there was zero marks, none, no stitches, no staples, nothing, no scar, nothing to show you time had passed, nothing to show you the this surgery, this surgery just happened, no bandage wound, nothing, nothing. He wasn't, like, put out or anything. Nothing to show he had a surgery. It's, it's like, super odd that they, like, could focus on so many details for stuff like that, but for the costume there, they're like, oh, no, we can't damage it. It's, like, the only suit we had. It's like, you literally could have just put bandages around it. I would have bought it. I don't understand. I don't understand. But anyways, they don't do that. And basically at 30 minutes in the film, Kong is driven, like, ape shit. Like, literally, like, jumps, like, great distances in the air to, like, break out of this place. He's driven absolute apeshit by raw lust for Lady Kong. And I think we both know, like, trouble's about to transpire. And I mean, or so you'd think. Well, I mean, stuff does happen. Kong starts to, like, tear it up, kind of. Uh, Think about the comparison here, though. So we're 30 minutes into the film. Not only have we seen lots of monkey up until now, both Kong and Lady Kong... But we're getting Kong action right now, 30 minutes in, 30 minutes into the film. Like, what was it last time? Like an hour for the last film before we even saw him, let alone he didn't even do anything. An hour. As I said, this is Kong's movie. He comes to a rescue. They fall in love. Um, And it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of neat, cute, whatever. The tragic hero, you've always wanted to be happy and just to be left alone. Finally finds a proper mate. I mean, it's beautiful. It is. It's beautiful stuff it's a it's a it's a man in a kong suit carrying a smaller man in a different kong suit but it's beautiful you know it's just beautiful speaking of beautiful good fucking lord peak linda hamilton is superb just fucking a just a bombshell when she's good she's great when 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 she's not though i mean kind of meh and i mean boy boy did she age like milk she really did like have you seen her in the last like 10 20 years it's just like jesus christ but in this moment, like this film, and maybe like Terminator 1, she is unreal. There's a couple shots in this film where I'm like, good lord. It's 35 minutes into this film. Yes, five minutes later. And the army is already involved in taking down Kong. So think about that. If this isn't the closest thing America has had to a Heisei Godzilla film, I mean, like, before the series even took off. But I mean, like, in terms of just, like, the feeling, I don't know what is, right? This is, like, it's it has, like... It, Everything it hits every notch like the mood, the mood of this film, the overall story and style, the narrative, and in the consistent giant monster action. I never understand why it wasn't welcomed more, especially not in the giant monster fan circles. Plus, seeing the Kongs bond and build a relationship is so fresh and kind of charming. It's so nice to see this layer to Kong, especially as a fan of the character. You feel more yeah yeah you do you feel more for both of them and and as a and a character you didn't think you could feel more for really because you know it's kong suddenly weighs on your heart that little bit extra like a character you didn't think you feel any more pity for any more like emotional weight for any more sorry for you feel all of a sudden that much more attached to and it's (laughs) it's tough but i mean it is it is it's it's good when you feel that way for a film if you actually open up to it as dorky as that is for a man in a costume it's kong though there's something like super deep rooted about kong that lends its well itself so well to that sort of type feeling um but yeah it's definitely it's got that feeling of like um a heisei film it got the army it's got like the human like science it's like scientists versus the army basically trying to get the monsters and then then there's finally that showdown. To me, this is like, there's no message per se, but I mean, not all Godzilla films have messages. In fact, most people that say Godzilla films always have a message, they're lying through their teeth. Most Godzilla films are riffing off of an American film that was popular, especially from like the 90s films all the way to the 2000s. That's exactly what they were doing more or less for most of the films anyways. I would definitely put this in like a, the same sort of like style and feel as like an early... And it definitely, it feels kind of like a, a Godzilla versus King Ghidorah or a Godzilla Return of Godzilla, like that kind of a vibe because there's no other monster that he's fighting. But it definitely has a Heisei feeling. Like, watch a couple Heisei Godzilla films and then watch King Kong Lives. It definitely has like a classic Japanese like Godzilla Heisei vibe. And I, I, I didn't really look at it in that lens before, but now that I'm seeing it like that, that's basically how I'm always going to view it, which is, you know, it's kind of cool. Also, too... The costumes are interesting. In certain scenes, they do like, they make that weird choice. It's that weird choice that some like gorilla films or giant ape films do. And like, it's seen a lot in like the Toho films, like either Godzilla versus King Kong or um, King Kong escapes, which is switching the arm lengths. And I noticed it in at least like four, four or five different scenes. But it's basically adding like the really long prosthetic additions to the arms so like the arms like are they're like when they're walking on their arms it's like actually having like an extra thing it makes the arms look different um to switching to the actual real arms that the actors have in the suits which is what godzilla uh, godzilla oh my god which is what king kong had the entire film in 1976 which i dug. that was what king kong looked like and then for this film they add these arms i'm like why are you doing this why why why, why? he didn't have that in the other films and it, it it's jarring too because you're used to seeing king Kong in the entire time a certain way and then all of a sudden he has these arms for a few scenes but then they're they're just gone for like the last third of the film especially they they don't come back again it's like why did you even include them if you looked at it must have been, must have been a budget thing they must have been like yeah let's include these arms to see how they look and then we'll reshoot it and there's like either time and money i would have to imagine and like, yeah, we just, we can't. We can't do it, um, so we're just gonna have to drop that. It is weird, it's a little jarring. Honestly, I would have just dropped it. I would have just dropped trying to do like that pseudo-realistic look. That's definitely why they were probably trying to do it more of a gorilla thing. And I would have just rocked the normal arms. Make that monster something unique, keep it like kind of akin to what it was looking like in 76. I don't even know why they they introduced them, but they did, it. it's kind of a nitpicky thing. But I, I'd, I never dig that with giant monkey films. Also, it needs to be said, almost none, not many at all, not many of the lines in this film are memorable. In fact, I honestly can't remember anything said, and I honestly just watched this film. Well, almost anything, because that's what I'm alluding to here. There's one scene that makes me cringe to my absolute core for some goddamn reason. It just, it bothers the hell out of me. So male character and Dr. Sarah Connor, like weird guy and um, Linda Hamilton, they're monitoring the Kongs in the wild, and they're just, you know, they're making sure they're safe type thing. And it's like nighttime now. It's getting cold out, and they're like, well, we should just rest, and we'll check up on them in the morning. And she's got her sleeping bag. She's ready to go, and this guy wasn't prepared, so he had, like, a blanket. But eventually, she just completely opens the sleeping bag, Zzz, opens it up, and she invites him to into the sleeping bag. So respect to this guy, though because a he didn't assume he'd be sleeping with her like oh it's cold out like can i come in like he didn't do that he's just like all right i'm gonna go to sleep he was like literally cold but he's like whatever i'm just gonna sleep over here he didn't make a stink about it and he was on his own and then after she invites him uh into her sleeping bag like the b for him like the other like check mark is he's like are you you're absolutely sure about this like he like asked her like he was just like he wasn't just like oh, sleeping bag, that means, like, we're gonna have sex. It's just like, he's like, okay, so you're sure about this? Like, this is a decision you wanna do. So, the thing that made me cringe is he asks her this, to which she replies with the only line in the film that I haven't forgot. She says, well, we are primates, too. And then kisses him and pulls him in. And I was just like, good fucking lord. It, it's that, it's so goddamn cringy. In what world would that be a turn on line either? Like, if some... If you were just, like, at the zoo all day and then, like, you went home and you're like, oh, let's have sex. And, she, and if someone was just, like, something like, yeah, because, like, just, like, the gorillas at the zoo, it wouldn't be like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Like, why would you say-? like, it it would kill the mood more than anything. And, like, nothing about that line screams it's sex time. Good God. I just, like, shuddered. I was like, oh, my God. Other than, like, King Kong himself and, like, what he's doing, that's literally the only human line I remember and I wish to God I for, I could forget it. I do. It's so bad. Like, we're primates, too. Oh, my God. I will say, though, <laughs> after that sex fade out, you can see Linda, Linda Hamilton's titty in, a, like, a blink-and-you-miss-it shot, which is just a nice treat. Like, young Linda Hamilton. Good Lord. Um, but anyways, after that little stinger, we get right into the military starting shit with Kong, Which means as an audience member, you know, you're about to get like almost an hour's worth of your money as Kong is pissed and he's not taking it. So he sees them take Lady Kong and in in his mind, there's a, like, he sees them take Lady Kong and in my mind, like Kong's like in this montage of like quick cuts of him like strapping on ammo bells. And like holstering a bunch of like rad guns, like cocking shotguns and stuff, like tying a head strap to his head tight. Getting like just getting ready to like rip shit up eighty style. That's how I imagine him getting ready. When he sees him, he's like, "No, that's just how I imagine it." But that's definitely not what happens. Um, so in between the setup for Kong, so in between the setup for to, so in between the setup for the Kong fight to end all fights, he creeps into the bayou and literally puts crocodiles on the endangered species list. Like literally, he puts he decimates their population in a single meal. I didn't pay attention before, like, when I first watched it, but, like, after this recent viewing, I was like, good lord. Big guy ate himself, like, something like 25 to, like, 30 crocs. Like, easy. Like, there's just a pile of bones, just an absolute pile of bones. It's it's a massive amount. Um, so then there's some fake tension and pressure as the scientists try to get a sanctuary for the Kongs. But honestly, none of this matters. Like, you're not paying attention. It's It's so, like, there's so many different plot points with the humans that you're like, whatever. So we as the audience know what's coming up, though. And honestly, that's all I was wishing was that they would just speed things up. The people in this in this film are like absolutely boring and super useless. Like all I could think was like, yeah, give us that Kong action that we've all been craving since 76, because Kong 76 was a huge letdown that way. Other than the snake, other than the the, well, no, okay, let me like revise that because the snake was kind of cool. The subway scene is fucking rad. And then when Kong's like fighting the helicopters, yeah, it's bitterly sad, but it's pretty intense. But I mean, it's all it all happens in like the last like 30 minutes of the film. It's like a two and a half hour movie. It's two hours of nothing. So we're just like, can we please see some Kong now? Like, good God. But it is coming. It's, it does come. Uh, so don't you worry. It's absolutely glorious when it does show up. Now, I don't know if any Kong fans are listening, but it. It wasn't just me right who noticed that little callback that wink homage whatever you want to call it uh to the 1933 film so in like the 1930 in the 30 in the 1933 film when king kong's like kind of like scaling some of the buildings there's like a girl and a guy like in like party wear because it's 1933 and he's like he's staring in at them or am i remembering this wrong made it might have just been a girl but he's staring in at them and they're just doing their thing and then all of a sudden they see them and they like scream. Kind of the same thing happens here. There's a couple that are about to get busy and they look up and they see Kong peering in at like this the skylight, the sky roof in the window there and then like screams ring out and they run out. I thought it was cool. I thought it was like a nice little touch. The Kong part, not like the sex part. All the rednecks are getting the guns ready after this point. They're like, they're storming out. They're getting boats. They're all getting ready. It was kind of cringe cringeworthy stuff too to be pretty honest but it was kind of fun to see like they were addressing like they were in georgia and like all the rednecks would be doing what they were doing like getting all their bass boats boats ready and like cocking all their like their rifles and shotguns and stuff getting their like their six packs of beer ready there's like they'd say one of the lines is something like um what is this like deliverance it just you know stuff like that makes me think of like oh, what was the other one there was another line too it's uh it's like when it's later on the film when like king kong and lady kong are like walking around they like get out and uh they like interrupt this like big family barbecue and the two guys are like it's always interesting who you see at these these things yes there's always somebody here you didn't think would be here you know it's it's those kind of lines that make you think how tongue in cheek 76 was and i don't know i always dig that i thought that was kind of neat some people i read in like early reviews thought like it was too funny kong's supposed to always be serious but you need some levity. It doesn't have to be like Marvel movie type funny where it's like every line has to be a goddamn like just side splitter laugh. Like you, it does need to be serious but you can always have some levity. All that aside though, with all their guns and stuff, like what are you gonna do? I, that's all I was thinking is just like, what are you gonna do? You have like a couple rifles and shotguns. This animal, Kong went toe to toe with mini guns and helicopters and lived. Bro, your rifle's not gonna do anything your buckshot isn't gonna do much like i don't know what they were doing but and it it, it doesn't we see in the next scene like it it doesn't do anything like even when they like tnt a bunch of like rocks onto kong he gets out and he like he doesn't it's like it doesn't do anything i don't i never understand why the why locals in this movie think they're gonna take it into their own hands especially with the army doing their thing so yeah the tnt comes there's like one guy who's like no guys like we either kill him or like we like we let him go but i'm not gonna like just let you fuck with them. And I was like, I dig this guy. But he still dies. He still dies. Goddamn Kong eats one of them and then rips the other one of the hillbillies in half that tried to get the jump on him. It's intense and honestly reminds you why King Kong is the king. Like literally, you see the guy like squirming, like, no, no, no. And he just like rips him in half and then throws the other guy just in his mouth while he's like screaming. It's 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 crazy so common highlight reels for this film because this film will always be on like top films like you didn't know existed or like like the worst king kong film or i don't know like movies that had sequels you didn't know about like here's some crazy facts I, i always find this those films are always like a you either almost always knew about every one of those films or b it's just like it's not that crazy but common highlight reels for those will always point out the whole eating a person thing they'll have it be like king kong storming through like suburbia and like oh isn't that crazy and weird and him like stepping on a lamborghini and then like fifth wheeling at this like pretty brutal looking golf course and honestly it's whatever to me like the first time you watch it it's maybe a smile at, at most but like it's nothing like whoa so crazy and funny and c- weird especially after watching like other giant monster movies it's like it's it's whatever I, <laughs> people are always like yeah this is the only this is a huge reason to watch it he steps on a car it's like who gives who gives a shit like whatever um so the last 20 minutes is everything though like it is everything in this film it's everything you've always wanted from a king kong film and more he's like legit tearing up the army messing up tanks and just soaking up bullets without ever slowing down like literally they're ripping him apart take like the ending of 76 and just have it like the whole scene So, like, we get that standoff between King Kong and the army guy who just won't give up, which, again, seems similar to Skull Island. Again, linking it back to how I think this series definitely has, like, a lot of, like, similar touches in, like, Kong Skull Island. Or, like, Kong Skull Island, like, kind of borrowed a lot from this. And uh, that's kind of why I dug Skull Island. I did. I dug it. I thought it was great. Uh, Easily the highest kill count for Kong, uh, again, until probably Skull Island. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it really. And just like in Kong 76, he's absolutely riddled with holes covered in blood, just an absolute mess, like a ridiculous amount. Plus, Oh, I kind of forgot. We kind of, we found out before the fight, um, him and lady Kong got busy because she's pregnant and I mean, pregnant real quick because honestly, this film feels like it takes place in like what a total tops two to five days yet she's pregnant. She's showing and basically like ready to pop, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so after the fight, she gives birth. And Kong, having gave his life to protect them, sees the birth of his baby Kong boy, who, for some reason, is the size of a human being. I never got that. Like, Kong and Lady Kong are monstrosities, like massive. And then she's holding this baby Kong in her hand, literally in her hand, conceals the whole thing in her hand and opens it up. And it's literally like the size of, like, Linda, Linda Hamilton. In it. And, um, it does it didn't, it didn't make sense, especially for her to be showing. Why would she have such a bump like that? If she's going to give birth to like a little piece of popcorn chicken to her basically. Right. Like it doesn't, I don't know, but Hey, you can't win them all. Um, it's still a really touching moment. And honestly, and I'm, I'm honestly, I got just as sad seeing this as I do for every single Kong films, every single Kong film when he ends up dying. He was just trying to be the best he could, you know? That score, too. Oh, my God. Good Lord. It's not like my favorite score, but in that final scene, it hits every feel you have. Oh, my God. Seeing this, like, with the tears in Kong's eyes again as he's about to fade into the darkness, I mean, it's truly Shakespearean stuff. And just like that, then he's gone. The hero we originally let slide the first time, our hero gone then much like the film we're talking about he wasn't brought up again for a long long time which really is just tragic it's as tragic as his fate basically with kid kong around at the very end of the film and with mom still i would have loved 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 it if they made just one more film that would have been absolutely great the continuing of his father's legacy type setup, maybe because you see him swing around on vines and he's like banging his chest. It would have been great. But alas, this $10 million feature was a huge flop, although it had the raddest Japanese poster art. Honestly, look it up. It's so goddamn cool. And it had a Super Famicom game, which is like the Super Nintendo, the, the, the SNES. Um, it had a Super Famicom game in Japan uh, that people loved. It honestly just didn't take off and it didn't take to the home audience, which is America Or anywhere really um other than japan which again like talking about the heisei godzilla film and how it seems so similar it's like it it tickles me pink that they they absolutely loved it in japan um so kong after this film was locked away and forgotten to time uh just gone that's it i mean until 2005 but that's a long long while and i honestly love this film and as i was saying like it would have been great It would have been kind of cool, too, if they made it like 96, like 10 year gap for each one. I mean, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense profitability wise because the people who watched it in the 70s, they definitely wouldn't be watching the one in the 90s because they really didn't come around for the 86 one. But it would have been kind of cool. Um, But yeah, I love this film. I do. I really do. It's a character piece for Kong as a creature. And it gives the ape we fell in love with something for once other than just... Like Something more like you get that those scenes of him bonding with Lady Kong and him like falling in love and him exploring and him like doing stuff on his own You're watching him eat. You're watching him survive take shelter feel anger feel Sadness feel love you're watching all these things and it's, it's great You're watching all these instead of just once because every other goddamn King Kong film has him just feeling constant heavy emotions being forced into awful lonely and unwinnable situations and it's they're hard to watch they really are like i love them for the effects i love them for the character i love them for the story but at the end of the day they are emotionally draining films Um, but in this film the monster stuff is rad it's a sequel that serves as a great companion piece like honestly these two films 76 and 86 they go together really well like peas and carrots they're great Definitely a better companion piece, better sequel, like sequel companion piece, kind of, I guess. More so than like Son of Kong or King Kong Escapes. That they're okay, but they don't really work too well as sequels. This is like the best King Kong sequel that we have. There isn't many, but this is the best one. And also that score too. It's no John Barry, but I've had it stuck in my head literally for like the last few days ever since I watched it. Uh, And there it is. That's King Kong and King Kong Lives, Two films that aren't talked about nearly enough. Lots against them, but God, if they're not chock full of charm and amazing effects. If you haven't watched them, go check them out. And if you have, I hope I did them justice in this episode. I love you guys so much. Thanks so much for sticking around. I know it's been a long time since I put out a, a new episode and I know this episode specifically has been in the wind for a long while. But it's out now, it's done, and I'll be working on many more things to come, Uh, so stick around. Lots of big things, like August, going to be a big month. Uh, So this episode was produced by me, Tyler Horlings, and the fantastic and very spicy Victoria Chubb. So guys, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen. It honestly makes a huge difference, I'm telling you, it really does. Just getting a couple reviews, I've already popped up on a little bit further, Please, it, would, it takes a couple seconds to even just give me a rating. Just hit those five stars, please. It really, really helps. And I appreciate it more than you'll ever know. And if you guys want, follow me on Instagram or at Twitter at ACFO Podcast. Uh, and until next time, stay rad. Tyler out.